There we go. Okay. So, the sermon uh, today, I hope, will be a blessing to all of you. Um, and do you mind if I have a quick word of prayer? I'm a little nervous. Yeah. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would please bless this message this morning. May your Holy Spirit truly speak to our hearts this morning. Father, may we see a, a better picture of you and your love and um, how much you care for us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So, first let's start with this map. There's a lot of really important places on this map close to my heart. Anybody know where I was born? I was born right there in Abidjan. Abidjan? Yep, Abidjan, Côte d'Ivoire. Um, because my parents were missionaries in... It's also on this map. It's just above Ivory Coast and Bamako. So that Bamako is the capital city of the country of Mali, which is mostly cut off. It's a, it's a longer, bigger country in the center of West Africa. It's sub half of it is Sahara Desert, half of it is Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, and then some of the pretty places that are like jungle um, in Africa are here along the coast, um, like right in this area and right in that area. <laughs> so I, I kind of do need a here. But anyways, um, West Africa is, is near and dear to my heart as a result. And today I'm going to tell you about one of the first missionaries to an area in Nigeria um, known as um, Calabar. And previously that entire region there by the coast was known part of Cameroon, what's now Nigeria. That whole area, that whole region was known as Calabar. Um, back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and so this is after the days of David Livingston. How many of you are familiar with David Livingston's story? Heard it. You've heard it? Read it. Read it? You, do, you don't know who <laughs> David Livingston is. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, find a biography of David Livingston and read it. It is so inspiring. He was one of the first career missionaries to Africa. And he what? Medical missionary. Yes. Yes, he was a doctor. If you need it. Oh, thank you. A pointer. Nice. Perfect. Thank you so much. Okay. So, yeah, he was most, uh, I forget where he was a missionary in Africa, but he spent much of his in the interior of Africa um, and had an incredible impact on not only Africa um, and its development, but also on the advent of the movement um, in the late 1800s. The story that he sent back from Africa inspired many, many more to go as missionaries. And one of those people grew up at um, and was a little girl named Mary 
Slessor. Uh, she grew up in Scotland, and in an area known as Aberdeen. And she heard these stories of David Livingston coming back. And she had a brother, and she fully expected her brother to go as a missionary to Africa. But for a woman to go as a missionary to Africa, that was unheard of. Um, she had a troubled life growing up. Her father was an alcoholic. And he would spend the money that he made before he got home. And then her mother had to figure out how to get by on whatever pennies were left after he drank his entire salary. And so this would happen every two weeks. He'd drink his salary, and then whatever was left, they tried to live on. And it was a very, very hard, difficult time for her family growing up. They moved from poor apartment to poor apartment to worse apartment, and they, they just never could seem to get ahead just scraping by on the very, very smallest amount of money. Eventually, uh, her father died. And so her mother and her and her sister, they all went to work in a factory. And they worked in a factory many years of her young life. Her older brother, John, the one that was expected to go as a missionary to Africa, that her mother had dedicated to be a missionary. He passed away of tuberculosis. And the only person left in their family was Mary and her sister. And Mary decided that she would go as a missionary to Africa. She wouldn't let anything stop her. And so she wound up going to a place known as Calabar. It's right here on the coast. Um, and so she took a ship over, from over here in England all the way down around the western horn of Africa and over to this area of what is now Nigeria. And she, she went and started staying with um, other missionaries there in Calabar. But she wasn't really happy <laughs> in that household. They had very specific set ways of being missionaries and they lived very western lives in a in the foreign country, and they, 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 weren't, they weren't seeing much in terms of success to their work. Um, they'd been there for 20 years, 30 years, something like that, and they had like five converts to the gospel. I, it, was, it was really slow work. And so eventually she convinced them to let her move a few miles away to Old Town, um, which was um, a different part of that city. And so she went to work in Old Town and very quickly began to make friends with the people in that area. Um, while she was in Old Town, she would start to other places besides Old Town. Um, they, these other you know, villages would invite her to come visit and bring the but, you know, And for a time, she declined to go because she was, she was teaching school and she was, you know, she was building up you know, a presence there in Old Town. And so she couldn't, you know, she felt like she had established work there before she went elsewhere. But one chief refused to give up. He lived in a village 30 miles from Old Town, up one of the tributaries of the Calabar River. Again and again, Chief Okan came into Old Town begging her to come and help his people. 
He will listen to the word he promised. We want to learn to read and sew. Sewing machines fascinated the African people. So, um, but will you do what the word tells you to do? She would ask. Yes, Ma, anything the word tells us to do, we will follow. It is evident that you have no idea what the word will say about many of your customs, she muttered more to herself than to her visitors. But Mary agreed to go to the village if they would send, if the villagers would send for her. So Okan went back to his village delighted by his success. He freshly painted his royal canoe and sent it down the river with his best paddlers to come pick her up. So the people of Old Town were very sorry to learn that she would be leaving for a two-month visit to Okan's. If Ma is hurt, they shouted, brandishing their spears, we drink blood. Oh, she sighed. It is evident the word hasn't made a much impression on my people yet. But I must be patient and remember what a lot they have to go. There was much drinking of gin, handshaking and embracing before the party left Old Town. And the sun went down by the time the canoe slipped into the Black River and headed downstream. Past the twinkling lights of Duke Town, they went. She lit a candle and tried to read to her children, but the wind blew it out. She had children by this point in time because she had learned that in this region of Africa, twins were considered cursed. Their mother. So if twins were ever born, the mother would be sent out into the bush and never heard from again. She would die. And they would kill the twins. And so one day, she heard that there was a birth, there was a difficult birth happening in a nearby, in a nearby commune. And so she went, and she found out that, the, that twins had been born. And so the father comes in with a club to beat the twins to death. And she's like, no, don't. <laughs> I'll take them. I'll raise them. And so she began then to raise a family there in, um, in Calabar. And she just adopted. So if twins were born and Mary heard about it, she would immediately go. And she would take the twins before they had any chance to, to kill them. It was at that time, you know, customs were their customs were very strong and had a strong hold on them. So there she is, headed up the river. Ma, our beautiful mother, is on board. Ho, 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 her speech is kind and her wisdom great. Ho, 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 great skill has she to cure the sick. Ho, 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 our beloved Ma, she comes with us. Ho, 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 the gentle movement of the boat soon lulled even Mary to sleep. So in the early morning hours, she arrived at Okan's village. After a few hours of rest, she called together and told them what she expected from them. The village should be cleaned so children could grow up healthy. She, she would teach them how to use wood ashes and coconut oil to make soap to clean their clothing. If they would use this soap on their clothes instead of pounding them with sticks on the rocks, they would last much longer. She would teach them how to make starch from cassava root and how to iron their clothes smooth. She held classes twice a day, opening the word of God to them, teaching them to sing and to pray to the great God of heaven. The people listened in wonder at her words. Many times they went away shaking their heads. As Mary went about her village and visited others nearby, she saw heathenism's strong grip. 
All kinds of charms hung from the ra over the rafters. These fetishes, awful skulls dangled from the door over each house. These fetishes were outside every hut. No charms of various sorts to protect it against the wild elephants that lived in the forest. Again, people were told that these things were powerless to help them, but they were loath to give them up. One morning, Mary took a walk along the riverbank. The village was close enough to the ocean so that the tide affected the depth of the river. The tide was about halfway in. A few yards from shore, she saw a stake driven into the ground. To her horror, she saw that an old man was fastened to it. This stake, the tide coming up the estuary, had already reached the man's waist. Who are you? She called out to the strange, solitary figure. The man turned his head toward her, but did not answer. Determined to set him free, she began wading toward him. Suddenly, there was a swirl of, in the water, and the man gave a fearful shriek. Before she could do anything, a crocodile had wrenched the man from the pole and taken him away. <sighs> Nothing was left but the pole. The water was red around it. Sick at heart, she hurried back to the village. The chief knew where she had been, for she never made a move that wasn't watched. He met her as she entered the village. She was so breathless, she could scarcely speak. He was only a slave, Aww. the chief explained, spreading out his hands. Our fishing has been poor lately. The people thought the river gods would like a sacrifice. Mary refused to accept the chief's excuses. You asked me to come and teach you and bring you the word of God, yet you kill your slaves. That is against God's book. You, you continue to worship your spirits and pay no attention to my words. Fetch the canoe. I and my children will leave and return to Old Town today. The chief fell on his knees. Oh, Ma, please don't leave us. We, how can we learn? Away. Very well. But if you want me to stay, call the people together. I have something to say to them. <laughs> so the people gathered, not a little odd by Ma's determination and determined air. <laughs> Do you want me to continue to stay with you a little while longer? She asked. Oh, yes. Don't leave us. We are learning so much. They answered. Then before sundown tonight, every fetish in this village must be burned. The people were aghast. <laughs> what would the spirits do? If anyone touched one of those skulls, the spirits would kill him instantly. Let the missionary do it first. Then she would be the only one to die, they thought. Marching to the nearest hut, she reached for the grinning skull and pulled it down. Placing it on the ground, she picked up a large club and brought it down on the old fetish, shattering it to pieces. The people looked on in horror, waiting for Ma all dead. But there she stood. Do she commanded. Under her watchful eye, the people gathered, reluctantly went about in the village and gathered a great pile of charms and bones and publicly burned them. Mary felt that a great victory had been won. But three days later, the devil had his answer. A terrible thunder squall struck. Wind blew so hard that water flowed over the riverbank and flooded the village. Roofs went sailing away into the jungle. Chickens and animals were knocked over and drowned. Lightning struck a great tree in the center of the village, splitting it from top to bottom. For two hours, the storm raged while people ran hither and yon looking for shelter. 
Then the wind went down, the rain stopped, and the people came together again. Excuse me. There would be much work in the next few days to repair the damage. Oh, Ma, they wailed. See what has happened? The spirits stood angry because we destroyed all those charms. They have tried to kill us all. Yes, perhaps the devil did try to seek to harm us, but my God is stronger than he is, and we have much to thank him for. How so, Ma? <laughs> have any of your people been killed in years gone by by storms like these? Yes, Ma, many of them. This time, although the storm was very terrible, not one life has been lost. How can you not believe in the power of my God? Ma, we begin to believe. Mary let out a deep breath. It was a beginning. And if you want to read the rest of the book, you'll need to get it from these folks. <laughs> or get your own copy. <laughs> This is another picture, a rare photograph I have of Mary Slessor and her family. This was the first twin she adopted. Um, this is probably about, the, about when her she was an early teenager. Um, and all of the rest of these, most of the rest of these are twins that she adopted and cared for and raised herself. She went on to have an incredible impact on that region of Africa. Um, and I remember reading that book, Mighty Mary, as a, as a kid. Yeah. And, and I, I just wanted to share her story with you guys this morning. God has called us to spread his gospel wherever we find ourselves planted, whether that's in Calabar, Scotland, the U.S., <laughs> here in a little mountain town, wherever it is that God plants us, he wants us to, to be spreading his love and his, his goodness with the people around us. Um, and this morning, we're going to have a short Bible study during this sermon, and it's going to be from the first book, the first epistle, the letter from John, 1 John. And so this morning... Um, we're going, to, we're going to read this, and we're going to study it. And, and I've titled this Counsel to Little Children, because we're going to highlight in the book of 1 John all the verses where John speaks directly to the church as my little children. So let's go take a look at the counsel that, that John gives to his little children in the church. So let's start with 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Does this remind you of an introduction to another book in the Bible? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In Him was life. <laughs> and, you know, this is, this is John writing <laughs> pretty clearly, both in the Gospel of John and here in his first epistle, 1 John. 
That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, so that our joy may be complete. So, I, I, just, I just love this, this passage where John is writing in his introduction to the book. He's like, listen, what I'm about to tell you in this book and the whole theme of everything, that we speak to you about is Jesus and the gospel, right? We're sharing what we've seen, what we've heard, what we've touched. I think it would be safe to say that John was very much sharing his experience with the gospel. He wasn't just sharing like a mere intellectual, you know, assent to the truth. He wasn't just sharing head knowledge that he had about Jesus. He'd lived with Jesus, he'd walked with Jesus, and he continued to live and walk in the presence of Jesus. And so he has like this daily communion with Jesus that is informing this entire book of John. He's talking about what he's seen and what he's heard in the past, in the physical presence of Jesus, but also what he sees and what he hears walking with Jesus each and every day. And I think you will see through the course of this book that this is the experience that he's wanting for the early church as he writes to them here. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So the whole entire purpose of this, that our joy may be complete. So that's, that's the whole purpose of this book is that we might experience the fullness of joy that can be found in the presence and in communion with God, in our walk with God. It, what, what do you think of when you think of, you know, a home filled with joy? Happiness. Happiness. Children. What comes to mind? Children. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> yes. No arguing. Yes. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> what makes you happy when you're at home? Singing. Singing. Yes. Reading stories by the fire. Yes. Playing instruments. Yes. Cooperation, yes. Yeah. Reading the Bible together. Absolutely. Cooking, yes. <laughs> I have so many good memories of cooking with my mom as a child. Yes. Pets. You have a few, don't you? How's the bunny doing? Good. Yeah. And brown. Wow. I was like, I, I, I thought she was white. <laughs> Supposed to be white. <laughs> but now she's brown <laughs> with the dirt. Okay. Home. Joy. How about eating the food, not just cooking it? Yes. Absolutely. Um, what other things bring joy? Service. Service. Yes. Service brings joy. And John writes here in this book 
these things so that our joy might be complete. Turn with me to the first passage where he speaks to the early church and addresses them as my little children. My little children, 1 John 2 verse 1, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So, what, what things is he writing unto them? Do you have your Bibles? You're going to need it. I don't have all the verses up on the screen. <laughs> this is a Bible study this morning. So, what things is he writing to them? Does anyone see the context there? In 1 John 2 verse 1. Right before it. So that we won't sin. Why he's writing it. But what did he write just before that? Fellowship with him and the Yes. But if we all walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. These are the things he had just written. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, you know, Jesus said, unless you become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, right? What was it about little children that, in particular, what attribute is it of little children? Innocence. Innocence. Openness. Yeah. Yeah? Trust. Trust. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. They fight and two seconds later they're playing again. Yeah. Yeah. At least sometimes. <laughs> I I would propose that part of it also is is the simple faith that children approach our Heavenly Father with. You know, us adults can sometimes get all caught up in the details of how, why this, and how that, and, you know, the, the minutia of, you know, justification and sanctification and glorification and, you know, all the, all the, the legal proceedings that happen in heaven related to that. And a little child? messed up. Will you forgive me? And then is able to move on and trust God. That simple faith is something that we all need to have. When Jesus says he's going to do something, he means it. We can trust his promises. If he says it in the word, we can believe it. And sometimes 
You know, we can find it hard to forgive ourselves. You know, we confess our sins and we believe, but sometimes we don't really accept that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. And then beyond that, this verse doesn't end there. This verse says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that word cleanse, when the Jewish mind brings back the concept of the Day of Atonement, a day for the cleansing of sin, but not just like the cleansing, like cleaning, but cleansing as in total removal. Like purification. Complete removal of the record of sin. You know, there was, there was a record of sin made on the horns in the sanctuary, of the furniture. They're, they're, they would take the blood in and they'd sprinkle it every year. You know, they would come in then and they would clean that. And, and they'd take that record in the blood and they'd put it on a goat and send it out into the wilderness to never be seen again, right? And it was removing that record that from the daily forgiveness of sins forever, permanently. And it represented when all the weight of the sins of this world would be placed right back on Satan's head. When the weight of all the sins that he had caused everyone to commit through all time would just be placed on his head and he would be sent to the wilderness and obliterated forever. And that there wouldn't be any more sin or pain. And also, you know, the Bible talks about the record books. You know, it talks about the book of life. The, the book where the names of the saints are written. Everyone who's confessed the name of Jesus, right? Written in the book of life. There's books of record. You know, there's books. You know, uh, <laughs> the minor prophets. Um, I believe it's... Uh, I'm trying to recall which, which of the minor prophets. It speaks of how in the books it's written, you know, when the people of God spoke to each other and encouraged each other. It was written in the books. So there's like, there's books of the good deeds we do, but there's books of the bad deeds. And the books, the record books in heaven, they're just a representation of our character, who we are, right? The books in heaven are just a, a perfect transcription of what we are and what we're like. Because they're, you know, heaven's always watching. God knows our heart. And he's always <coughs> noting. You know, this is, this is the character of this person. And when he says here to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, he means removing the record. But the record isn't just record. The record is a representation of us. It also means removing it from us. You know, that, that's why Peter says, you know, we should be praying that, you know, our sins might be blotted out in the times of refreshing. You know, when the Holy Spirit's poured out, we want to also, we want the Holy Spirit to transform our lives so that God can remove the record of sin and we won't just put it right back up there. <laughs> you know, he wants, to re he wants to remove it from our lives. He wants to give us a new heart, you know, a new life. This is... My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. But the ultimate purpose is that we would be cleansed, not just forgiven. That's, that's the message of the gospel here that John writes about. And these things write we unto you that your joy may be full. All of this, 
you know, yields joy in the end. And when we have this relationship with God, where God forgives us and we forgive each other, we walk in the light and we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Again, it's in that passage. Then let's go to the next verse here in 1 John. 2, verses 12 through 14. I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So, again, sins being forgiven. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. This is about the only place where he addresses, like, an older generation. And this could also be addressing, you know, more spiritually mature individuals as well. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. Wow. What does it mean to know the Father? John started this book by saying, we're sharing with you what we saw, what we heard, what we handled, what we felt. And Jesus said, if you know me, you've known the Father. And so here, Jesus is, here John is saying, listen, you little children, I'm writing to you because you know the Father. You have a heart to understand and commune with the Father. It's our privilege as Christians to be able to walk with God, to be able to talk with him, to commune with him, to have this experience with him. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. It's actually really interesting because he writes to each of these groups twice in these three verses. He writes to each of them once and then he says, I, ha I have... So he's like, I am writing to you. And then he's like, I write to you. And he, he has this for each of the groups. And he does little children, fathers, young people. Little children, fathers, young people. It's really interesting. The, the cadence and tone here in First John. And then he goes, you know, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. Interesting. So his next address to little children is one of end time context. <laughs> you know, as it were, he's like, we know it's the last hour because many antichrists come. It, this reminds me of what Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians about the coming of Antichrist, um, and that the spirit of Antichrist was already being, ma being manifest. There's, there's so much in Scripture about, about the errors in theology in the, that were going to be coming into the church, into the early Christian church, and how it's going to affect, um, how it's going to affect them and how it's going to eventually lead to persecution, great persecution through the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages. And he's, he's writing to them, you know, and he's like, children, it's the last hour. You know, know that trouble is coming. 
But, verse 20, you have an unction for the Holy One, and you know all things. So, here he's like, but the Holy Spirit's being given to you. And he's like, Verse 24, let that therefore abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, you also shall continue in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he hath promised us, even eternal life. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. Speaking specifically of antichrists, plural. He speaks of antichrist and he speaks of antichrists, plural. So there's two groups there. There's, there's an individual organization coming, Antichrist. But there's also Antichrist, a, a group of individuals that would be seducing them. And he speaks of how they would come from among them and then leave and draw people after them. Um, and that, that, this, is, this is what he speaks of in this passage, verses 19, 20, 21, 22, 23. 24 and 25, though, he's like, but this is what's saving you. He's like, let that which you've heard from the beginning abide in you. So the instruction you've heard, the teaching you've heard about Jesus, let that stay with you, and that will be your rock, your foundation, so that you're not swayed and you're not moved by anything that happens. And when trouble comes, there's no need to be afraid because God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even unto the end of the age. Verse 28. This is our scripture reading this morning. And I will, I will do my best to wrap this up in a very short time. Oh, but the anointing which ye have received of him abides in you, and ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth, and is no lie, even, and even as it has taught you, ye shall abide in him. Again, John 16, 13. You know, I am sending you the comforter, and he will teach you all things whatsoever I command him. Like, it's incredible. The Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit is so important. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Ah. And if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone that does righteousness is born of him. Ah, behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we shall be called the sons of God, and therefore the world knows us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Amen. What a promise. And you'll find that through the rest of the book, he starts referring to his audience more as beloved. Then he does little children. But there's still two more references to little children in the book. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. That's chapter 3, verse 7. Um, then chapter 4, verse 4. Little children, you are of God. 
and have overcome them. Speaking of those who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. Um, speaking of, you know, yeah, speaking of those who would lead us astray. You are of God and you have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he who is in the world. They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world hears them. We are of God. He that knows God hears us. He that is not of God hears not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. Oh, so many good passages. I really, I'm, I really like this book. This is the last verse of the entire book. And this is how, this is how John ends 1 John. 1 John chapter 5, verse 21. It's the last verse. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. In the King James, it says, Amen. Amen. Let it be so. This is the end of the matter. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Amen. Don't let anything come between you and your relationship with God. Don't let anything become more important to you than God so that it receives the worship that God deserves. I'm going to go back to this verse, which is our, uh, this verse, which is our scripture reading. I'm going to spend just two minutes on this, and we're done. And now, little children, abide in him, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. This, what a promise. What's the key to not being ashamed and having confidence in Christ? Abide in him. You know, John wrote about abiding in Christ a lot elsewhere. Do you remember where? It's John chapter 14. The Gospel of John, chapter 14. He writes, you know, let not your heart be troubled. No, no, no. It was, it's not 14. It's 15. My bad. I am the true vine. My father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that bears not fruit, he takes away. And every branch that fruit, he purges it so that it may bring forth more fruit. He prunes it. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I am the vine, ye are the branches. There's so much here about abiding in Christ in the Gospel of John. And here he's essentially making reference to it again. He's like, go in my previous gospel, where I talked about abiding in Christ, where I talked about this branch and vine connection, right? Paul speaks about how we are grafted in as branches to the vine, which is Jesus Christ. You know, we're grafted in, you know, as spiritual Israel. In Romans, he talks about that. And here John's like, just like that vine, abide in him. Plug into him. Not just like occasionally when you feel like it. When you're feeling down and low, then you need a spiritual pick-me-up. No, he's like, abide. Dwell. 
that living connection that John here wants each one of us to have, that living connection that brings joy, it comes through just communion with God, staying connected day by day, hour by hour, minute by minute. That's his counsel here. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. You know, there's two groups of people when Jesus comes again. They're, they're made pretty clear in the Bible. There's one group of people that's found in Revelation chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. Yeah, Revelation chapter 6, and we'll be at the end of the chapter, starting in verse... 12. Yeah. And I beheld, and when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood. These, these are also mentioned in Luke chapter 21, where Jesus is talking about the signs of his coming, his second coming. Here they are again in Revelation chapter 6. So we know these are the signs that he's about to come. Okay? So right on the heels of these signs, we should expect to see a description of maybe how he's going to come. So here it is. And as the stars of heaven fell into the earth, even as a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind, and the heaven departs as a scroll when it is rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places. Wow, this is, this is a shattering, tremendous event. This isn't some quiet secret thing. Like this is a grand event. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the rich men and the chief captains and the mighty men and every bondsman and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? What kind of, what kind of response is, are these people having? Is it confidence or are they shrinking in shame? They're shrinking in shame and guilt at his coming. What a word picture! Right? Instead of rejoicing. You know, this, this question at the end of Revelation 6 is answered in Psalm chapter 24. Psalm chapter 24. Really quick. I promise I'm wrapping this up. Psalm chapter 24. I just had to include this. Psalm chapter 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? 
Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul into vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy face, O Jacob. So Isaiah, here we're going to see the opposite response. So what does the response of confidence look like at his coming? Turn with me to Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 25. Isaiah chapter 25. Ah. Here, there's a, a picture of Christ's second coming given. Um, and the, in this mountain, verse 6, shall the Lord of hosts make unto all the people a feast of fat things, a feast of wine on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wine on the lees, and well refined. And he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over all of the people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth, for the Lord hath spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And in that day shall the song be sung in the land of Judah. Isaiah chapter 26, verses 1 through 4. Oh, you have to get me to sing that to you later. But anyways, there's, there's just like incredible passages here. But I just wanted to end with that thought. Now, little children, abide in him. Commune with him. So when he appears, you're going to have confidence. Look, this is my friend. I've been talking with him every day. I've been reading his word. I've been listening to his voice. And not shrink from him in shame at his coming. I know that's my prayer. And I hope that's yours as well. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you today because we want your presence. We want your Holy Spirit in our lives. We want to walk with you and commune with you in simple trusting faith. So that when you come again, we can have a confident response. Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. He will save us. Father, this is our prayer. And we pray that you would prepare us and make us ready for your soon coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.